Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into our text today. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it never turns back void. Thank you, Lord, that <clears throat> in the middle of trials and frustrations and physical issues in our lives, God, that you remain faithful. You are on the throne. You are in control, Lord, even when the things around us seem out of control, the things around us seem disconnected, Lord. Thank you that um, you're not dependent upon our stability, but we need to be dependent because you are stable, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the rock of our salvation that you are our strong tower that we can run to and hide into it, Lord. Thank you that when we are weak, Lord, and we call upon you, Lord, your strength is made perfect in our weaknesses, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just teach us to be more like Jesus. Jesus was a servant and did everything that God the Father asked him to do. Lord, sometimes in our lives it even feels like dying to ourselves in our relationships and work environments. Even with health issues, Lord, it's hard. We've got to trust you with those, Lord. Thank you that in the middle of all of those things that we experience in life, God, that you are faithful, that you are almighty, God, that you are powerful. Thank you that we can turn to your word and, and hear from you, Lord. That's how we hear from you. Lord, we don't hear from you because of people necessarily or pastors or teachers or or even praying, Lord. Lord, your word is what you ordained to speak to us. It's supernatural and it's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Lord, I pray that none of us would leave this place today missing out on what you have for us, God. And just lift up those that um, need healing, Lord. I just, I want to pray again for my family, Lord, that it just needs a touch from you, Father. I'm sure there's others as well. Lord, we want to lift up all the believers and churches, Lord, in this community and all of her so that you would radically transform them so that they would be a beacon of light. Same within Marysville and Yuba City and just the whole earth, Lord. We just lift up the body of Christ to you, God, <clears throat> that you would have your way with it, that it would glorify you. Praise you and give you all the glory. Lord, I pray for those who couldn't make it today. Some are traveling, that you'd be with them, Lord. Just uh, give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 25. So we're going to kind of do a lot of reading today just because of time. I really want to get through this, and I don't want to be here till 5 p.m. Some of you guys are like, well, the door's there, and I'm leaving right now, Brian, that you said that. <laughs> well, we have three doors, actually four. There's one out the children's bathroom back there that we use for stores. So we give you every opportunity to come or go. So, starting Acts chapter 25, verse 1. Now, when Festus had come to the province... Oh, let me start here. So, um, at the end of Acts 24, um, Felix uh, was succeeded by uh, Festus. So, Felix no longer is uh, in charge anymore in this region. And so, we have a new person in charge. And so we pick up there because in the verse 27 of 24, it talked about how uh, it said, but after two years, uh, Por Porcius Festus, I always have a hard time with these names sometimes, succeeded Felix, and Felix 
wanting to do the Jews a favor left Paul bound. So um, again, you'll see in this text what's interesting also, um, there's the um, political positioning that these Roman uh, leaders uh, take with the, the Jewish nation because that's, it, 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 on a map, that's where they were. I mean, these Romans were over the Jewish nation in this area. They weren't in Rome. They were actually, you know, overseeing Judea and all these things. So they wanted, um, they wanted to appease and appeal so that the Jews would like them. And so you see this here at the end of Acts twenty four twenty seven that Felix really just left Paul there be- so that the majority of the Jews who were against Paul, you know, they didn't want this big upheaval and they wanted to stay liked by them. And we'll see the same tone actually in Acts 25 and 26. Um, So back to verse one, sorry. Now, when Festus had come to the province after three days, he went up to Caesarea to Jerusalem. So what did he do? He went He went from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So right away, Festus, knowing how important it was for him to get along well with all the Jewish leaders, Festus wasted no time at all and went to Jerusalem. So again, he's there to appease the the masses, um, to to let them know that he's there and he wanted them to like him. So verse two, then then the high priest and and, and, and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. And they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, against Paul, that he would summon him, being Paul, to Jerusalem, because Paul was not in Jerusalem, he was in Caesarea, while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So what happens here? This is about two years after what had gone on already in in Acts 24, and we have these same um, high priests and the Jewish leaders, the, 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 the men that, that were of uh, well-known stature amongst the Jewish nation uh, in, 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 Jude, in Judaism back in, in, in Jerusalem, and they still wanted Paul dead. So they're asking, here comes this new guy, Festus, and they're asking him, hey, you know, can you send that dude Paul back to us? And, and there's a dash here in the text that, and, and I don't know that they said this, to um to Festus, but it says while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So for whatever reason we're told that I don't necessarily know if they exactly told him that, because I don't think that Festus would have allowed uh Paul to go just for him to be murdered by these people. But you would think after two years that their murderous intentions towards Paul would have subsided, but it had not. Verse four, but Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea and there and and the next day sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. So we see that he was there for 10 days and he comes back. Verse seven, so when, and th- this is Festus coming back to Caesarea. So when he had come, he, he summoned Paul. So now it says, when he had come being Paul, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. So again, here they are at Caesarea in the courts again, but yet a different overseer, a different Roman leader, and they're petitioning, making all these wild accusations against Paul, and, and none of them are true. So we see again, Paul, 
uh, uh, verse 8, while he answered, uh, did I skip uh, when he commented? Okay, yeah, verse 8, sorry. While he answered for himself, being Paul, he says this, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesarea, I mean, sorry, Caesar, have I offended in anything at all? So we see here that Paul once again defends himself. Um, He's not done anything wrong against the Jews. He hasn't done anything wrong against the temple at all. And, and, And he hasn't done anything wrong against Caesar or Rome itself. He's innocent and, is, and his accusers have nothing to back up their accusations. You know, I think about how in our lives as Christians, and, and this just kind of came to mind when I was reading this, that, <clears throat> that in our lives as we serve the Lord, Satan's going to come and try and point his finger at us and he's going to try and build this case against us. And he's going to try and say, hey, you're this failure. Or maybe there's a sin issue in your life that you're dealing with. And I mean an issue that you're actually trying to work through and confess. And not, some people say, make an excuse for things sometimes as well. It's just, you know, it's just my nature. Well, no, you're either striving to confess your sins before the Lord and willingly moving forward in your relationship with God to leave the garbage behind that's in our sinful nature and flesh. Or you're making excuses to do these things and say, well, you know, I'm just a human being. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that as we serve the Lord and as we grow as a Christian and things come up in our life, whether it's shortcomings or not, the enemy will point his finger at us. Hey, you're a failure. Hey, Brian, you're worthless and can't stand before people and read the Bible. Hey, you know what? You, you, you're th- whatever it might be. And he tosses these fiery darts at us. So we're nerf darts here and I, I put them away. I was going to show you. They get thrown around here a lot on Thursdays for youth groups. So they had Nerf gun wars last night or on Thursday. And so, but, but it's almost just like that, right? The enemy comes in, brings up everything. It could be things from the past. How many of you guys have thoughts from two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago that were ungodly and all of a sudden hit you between the eyes and it affects your life and you're like, what the heck? And you, it had nothing to do with your daily life. Well, that's not God and that necessarily isn't your flesh. That's the enemy, Satan wants to throw everything he can at you to derail you. And, and if you think about it, this whole movement against Paul wasn't against Paul, okay? It wasn't against Paul the man. It was against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of our lives, when Jesus is in us, guess what we represent? We represent Jesus because he lives in us. It's not, you know, my good works doesn't get me to heaven, okay? Me doing good things for other people, like, okay, so we did the backpack um, and, and back to school thing for the schools. That's amazing. Praise the Lord. But you know what? I tell people we can have a benevolence program and send people to hell by not preaching the gospel. Every backpack that we sent to these schools had a track in it talking about Jesus. We want to make sure that what we do is preaching the gospel. And so my point here being is that Paul was all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wasn't about positioning himself. He wasn't about his stature. In fact, if you think about it, and I've men- made mention of this before, Paul in our day and age, Paul would have had like a double doctorate in divinity. He would have been super, super smart. He would have been the bestsellers list of writing books in New York bestsellers list. That's who Paul would have been in our time. He would have been on every news channel or on some some feed and people would, thousands of people would be following his his way if he followed after what his upbringing was. And we'll learn about that more in this text here, he, he brings that up. 
But man, we got to make sure, and, it, and it's just fascinating to me how, you know, you see these people here and they bring these accusations and they're all false. And when the enemy comes and brings accusations against you that does not line up with who you are in Jesus, it's false. And there's no weight to it at all. And so we see here that this was all against not Paul the person, but Paul the saved person that was being used by God to preach the gospel. These people wanted to shut the gospel down. And that's what this whole thing is with Paul. And the Lord was using these trials in his life to place him in front of leader after leader now. Now he's before kings. We'll, we'll get to that point here. And the Lord said, and it prophesied towards him that that's what his ministry would be. And the end of his life, he knew that he was going to go to Rome. He knew God had told him that he was going to do these things. And, and it's just amazing how this all unfolds. And we'll continue to see how Paul's agenda was all about preaching the gospel, even in the midst of false accusations and trials. And that's how our life needs to be. We always have to preach the gospel to ourselves. I always have to tell myself that I am saved because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, not because of my good works, not because of anything I do, good or bad, but because Jesus loves me and he died for me, and he shed his blood on the cross. He was buried, and three days days later rose again, fulfilling the prophecies, speaking of what would happen with the Messiah, fulfilling the necessity that God placed on mankind for the satisfaction of of, 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 of remission of sin, which was a blood sacrifice, a pure lamb. If you go through the Old Testament scriptures, a pure lamb was, a, was, was the, sin, the sin sacrifice during the times when they did sacrifice. And Jesus fulfilled all of that. And he bids for us to come to him and receive that willingly from him and live the way he's called us to live. And all these people wanted to shut that down all the way from Jesus to Paul and everybody else. I mean, there, other people were martyred for their work with Christianity. There's, there's people in parts of the world now that are killed by other extremists. And it's not because, you know, they're extremists for, for murdering people. It's because there's a literal opposition against the gospel of Jesus Christ, even to this day. And so we see in Acts, Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. It's the outward movement, the, the, the physical expression of a life that has been supernaturally transformed by the true and living God. And that's why Paul was able to continue the way he did. Verse 9, but Festus wanting to do the Jews a favor. Remember how I said, like, you know, there's this this positioning of these governors, these Roman governors to the Jews. The Jews were a great nation. They, the, they, they were a large group of people. This was their country that the Romans were overseeing. But Festus wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So after Paul said that, you know, that, that, um, all of the, that he was innocent of all these things, now uh, Festus tells him, hey, are you willing to go back to your courts? Because, you know, I don't want to deal with this, basically. So Paul says this, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. So Paul gets very strategic in what he says next, where I ought to be judged. In other words, I'm here in your court. To the Jews, I have done no wrong as you very well know. So he's sharing with Festus, look, I have not done nothing wrong. Why send me back to this court in Jerusalem? I, I haven't done anything offensive there. And I'm in your court. Why are you sending me away? Is what he's saying, basically. Verse 11, for I am an offender, for I am an offender or... 
For, I, for if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, it's interesting that he says that. And then he says this, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. So if a Roman citizen says, I appeal to Caesar, there's a legal thing that has to occur there. He literally has to be taken to Rome and tried there. It was, it was something that, that you were able to do um, in, in a trial in, uh, under Roman um, law. And so Paul basically is saying, look, I'm willing to die if I did something wrong, okay? But I didn't do anything wrong pertaining to the Jewish laws. I already stated that. They, there's nothing against me they can hold. You see that. So why, I, I'm a, I'm, he's claiming, because he's a Roman citizen also, I want to go to Caesar. Take me to the highest court. You ever, we have that judicial system now, right? You start a local court, and then it goes up and up, and then it goes to the Supreme Court. So that's basically what, what he's claiming here for them to do, and they had to appeal. I mean, they had to appease his desire there. Verse 12, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar, question mark, to Caesar, you shall go. In other words, fine. If that's what you want, that's where you're going to go. I've already conferred with my council here. Good. You're out of here on this. And after some days, so now we see here, verse 13, that this gentleman named King Agrippa and his sister Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. So again, you know, Festus is, is new and now you have King Agrippa coming in. And so when they had been there, verse 14, many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king saying, and this is fascinating, Holy Spirit allows us to see this dialogue between these secular men talking about Paul. It's interesting how, how this unfolds. And here he goes, he says this to King Agrippa, there is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, but whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charges against him. I guess there was some sort of system that they had in place there, right? They weren't just barbaric. Verse 17, therefore, when they had come together without any delay, Festus continues to t tell this to King Agrippa, this detailed account, uh, without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the, the man to be brought in. When the accuser stood up, they brought no accusations against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died when Paul affirmed that to be alive. So in other words, he's, Festus thought that, you know, here's Paul, he's been in prison all this time. These Jews want to kill him. There must be something horrific that he did. But then he's, you know, says it's a dispute over religion and this dude Jesus who supposedly died and came back to life and Paul says that he's back to life. So as a, as a governor, Festus is dumbfounded, and so he's confiding in King Agrippa. Verse 20, and because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So 
King Agrippa's like, hey, man, you know, let's get entertained, basically. Let's see what's going on. I want to hear what this is all about myself. And so Festus is like, all right, tomorrow, we'll just do this. Verse 23, so the next day when Agrippa and Bernice, being Agrippa's sister, had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. So at great pomp, you, you know, pomp and circumstance, like it was a huge to-do, like the red carpet was rolled out and all of this greatness was coming because you have King Agrippa and his sister, you know, coming in. And so the whole town was abuzz and they had this big, huge, you know, ordeal, you know, unfolding for King Agrippa. And so they made a big deal about this meeting that they were having. It wasn't just some calm thing, you know, they wanted, look at us, we're amazing what that was about. Now, I want to read a little bit of history about King Agrippa, and this is from David Guzik's commentary. Last night after I'd written this, I'm like, oh, I need to give some, some, uh, some text to, to who this guy was. So when Herod Agrippa II ruled a, a client kingdom of the Roman Empire to the northeast of Festus Providence, so King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesar, Herod Agrippa II, Agrippa was known as an expert in Jewish customs and religious matters. Though he did not have jurisdiction over Paul in this case, his hearing of the matter would be helpful for Festus. Of this King Agrippa, his great-grandfather had tried to kill Jesus as a baby. Do you guys remember when they went out and they slaughtered all the kids when the one king was like, okay, if this king's coming to take my throne, so they killed every baby that was two years old and younger. So that was... That was this guy's family. What a great family heritage, huh? His grandfather, so that was, that was this king's great-grandfather. His grandfather, in other words, his dad's dad, his dad's dad, had John the Baptist beheaded. His father had martyred the first apostle James. Now, Paul stood before the next in line of the Herods, Herod Agrippa. Now, Bernice, I'm going to give a little excerpt about her, was Agrippa's sister. And, and take note here, this isn't biblical history. Secular history records rumors that their relationship was inappropriate as brother and sister. So it was just, um, and also Herod Agrippa II didn't rule over much territory, but he was of a great influence because, of the, because the emperor gave him the right to oversee the affairs of the temple in Jerusalem and the appointment of, high, of, high, of the high priest. So <clears throat> Paul's in front of these you know, men that aren't godly, that have horrible relationships with their family members. This King Agrippa has a history of murdering Christians. Man, I'd be nervous standing before these guys. Mm-hmm. We'll see here, Paul again, the Holy Spirit grabs him and he's so unashamed of the gospel in this situation. Bless you. That was perfect timing, Emily. What verse were we at? Uh, So the next day when Agrippa Bernice had come with great pomp and entered the auditorium with commanders and prominent men in the city, so you see it was a big, big ordeal, um, at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. So now Paul's brought into this, you know, huge gathering of all these quote-unquote, important people. Excuse me. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me. 
both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself has appealed to to Augustus, I decided to send him. So in other words, he's saying, hey, I've decided to send him to Rome, to the emperor. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. In other words, I don't have anything to write to him about this. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. So again, Festus was just lost for words on this situation. Verse one of Acts chapter 26. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy. When's the last time you thought that when you're going through a trial? I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all things of which I am accused by the Jews. So Paul took absolute joy that he was able to share his life with King Agrippa. How many times in our lives do we take every opportunity with joy to share Christ with those around us? Again, that's the example that Paul has here. And please, 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 don't discount yourself because, well, I'm not Paul. Well, I don't have a lot of biblical, you know, education. You know, I, 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 I'm new to all this or, or, you know, this is my life. That, that's not how God thinks of us. God just wants us to be willing to go like this. That's it. It's called a step of faith. It's called a step. He's waiting for us to act in regards to him moving in our lives. Paul was not, Paul was excited about this. Verse three, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. So Paul knew that King Festus, I mean, King Agrippa was extremely knowledgeable at Jewish, uh, Jewish religion, uh, heritage, all that. He, 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 he knew that he was uh, wise about these things. He knew he understood these things. And so Paul thought, great, this is awesome. <clears throat> Verse four, my manner of life from my youth. So Paul now starts off and gives a history from when he was a kid. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem All the Jews know. So he's saying, look, when I was a kid, I was in Jerusalem. All of these people know who I am. Verse five, they knew me from the first. So he's not, these, the Jewish leaders, they know who Paul is because of who he was as a Pharisee. They they knew me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. I lived as a Pharisee. He's saying I was them. I was a Pharisee. You had Pharisees and Sadducees that were the extremely knowledgeable people in regards to studying. They dedicated to their life, to the the, the theology of Judaism. And and, and there was two sects. There was uh, Pharisees and, 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 and Sadducees. And one of them, one group, believed that in, in the resurrection of the dead, and the other one did not, okay? So Paul, he's, he's painting this picture. Look, this is who I was as a kid. 
Verse 6, and now I stand and, I, and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our Father. So he's saying, I'm judged for this hope that God himself had already made a promise to our fathers. Remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to King Agrippa. King Agrippa knew these things. To this promise are 12 tribes. Now he goes into the 12 tribes of Old Testament, earnestly serving God night and day. Hope to attain for this hope's sake. King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Paul was being judged for the hope of the promise made by God to the fathers. The fathers being Old Testament, Moses, prophets, the 12 tribes. So the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that's, that's, that's who he was being accused for because of his speaking and his life showing that Jesus had risen from the dead, that Jesus was the Messiah. Whenever, again, whenever you're in a conversation with somebody, be it Mormonism, uh, other religions, Mormonism, Judaism, uh, uh, Sikhism, uh, 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 any other religion except real Christianity that believes that Jesus Christ is the true and living God, that he was the Messiah, that he came to the earth, that he died on the cross, that he was buried and three days later rose again and ascended into heaven. That's always the issue. Whenever I'm sharing Christ, I listen to Mormons, we talk about different things, and I, well, who's Jesus? Who is he? See, this book right here doesn't point at just knowledge. It points at Jesus. The Old Testament points to the Messiah coming, and the New Testament actually states that the Messiah came and testifies of what happened, actually, of Jesus coming to this earth. You know, another thing that's amazing is Jesus' death. Our, 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 our calendars are changed, right? A, D, B, C. That's why I don't like circa. You know, you see that nowadays in dates. Our calendars changed pertaining to Jesus. Jesus is real. What happened with him is real. And he's always needs, he, he always needs to be the issue when we're talking about these things with other people of other religions. And I'm not saying be, you know, um, uh, frustrated with him or anything like that. I have great dialogues with other people, you know. But I ask the question, who's Jesus? You know, what's the Bible say about Jesus? Jesus always needs to always be the answer. So this is what Paul's saying about this, you know, that this promise, um, and that the tri- that the tribes of, of 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 the of the of the Jews that they 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 because of this that this is what they did that and that he was being accused by the Jews for this. Verse eight, and he says, "Why should I? Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead?" In other words, why, why, why would that even be incredible by you? Paul was making this statement to all that were gathered. This word "you," he's saying that all of them, um, all were gathered. The Jews accusing him that were there, and all um, of, of the Sadducees that were there, and 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 and. and and all of the Roman people that were there and all of the pomp, all these people gathered, Paul was addressing them. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? In other words, why, why have an issue with that? Why is it incredible? Why is, wh- and so Paul knew that these he was speaking to did not agree with the raising of the dead. He knew that the Sadducees that were there, they didn't agree with that. But know this, without the truth of Christ rising from the dead, there is no gospel and there's no hope. Next, we see Paul give an account of his past. Verse 9. 
Indeed, I, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he's confessing that he, he thought he was going to do things against Christ. When he first started, we see Paul in the scene. That's what he was doing. Verse 10, he says, This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In other words, he's saying, I was given all authority by the chief, by the Jerusalem chief priest, the Jewish chief priest, to go out and actually imprison Christians. And when any of them were put to death, I cast my vote for that to happen. That's what he's saying to them. This is who Paul was. I want you guys to always, one thing we have to always remember, okay? And I'm not saying be living and condemned, but it's good to remember our chains, what God has set us free from. It always puts into perspective how great God is. Verse 11, and I punished them often in every synagogue and, and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In other words, he was, he was just this roaring, raging lion trying to destroy Christianity and anybody who said anything about Jesus, that's who Paul was. Verse 12, while thus occupied, in other words, while this is happening, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, Exactly. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. So he's giving an account, his road to, his journey to Damascus where Christ himself came and showed up and this bright light showed up and the, the other people saw it, but they didn't, they, 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 um, they, they, so, so then verse 14, and when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Again, the reason is Jesus. It's not the religion. It's not Mormonism. It's not Jehovah's Witness. It's not our sin this or our that. It's do we line up with Jesus? Jesus is the, always the answer. He's always the focus of religious dialogues. He needs to be. Some religions, you know, it, it, it talks about gurus and then Jesus is listed down about five or steps down as a guru. Well, that, what is that? Diminishes who Jesus is. So Hebrew saw Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is Jesus himself. Okay, Jesus had already died, buried, rose again. Jesus, this, is, this is incarnate Jesus, not a spirit, Okay, verse 15, so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for the purpose, listen, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So in other words, I'm delivering you from the Jewish people because they, they wanted to, to hurt him. Also, from the Gentiles, to whom I now, but, but now he's being sent to the Gentiles to open their eyes in order to turn, listen, you guys, what people are turning from. Listen, in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of who? Satan. To who? God, that they may receive forgiveness of what? Of sins. And that word sin just means missing the mark. Okay? The mark is perfection. Last time I checked, no one's perfect, not even dogs. I don't know why that came out because I thought about my dogs at home. But no one's perfect. Okay? No one's perfect. 
Not one person, no matter how polished they are, doesn't matter if you have the most amazing house and the white picket fence and everything, but that, that doesn't matter. All of us fall short of God's glory. But listen, what's the, what's the, what's the issue here? Paul, I love this. He just unfold, he talks about his life and then he unfolds the real spiritual issue in people's lives. Being turned from the power of Satan, and Jesus did this to him actually, sorry, I just, Paul's reaccounting this. Jesus, uh, from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inherit and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. How are we sanctified? We are sanctified through the work of Jesus Christ in him, not our works, okay? Please, folks, it's important to not overlook this distinct this distinction that Jesus makes to Paul. Jesus tells Paul what's at stake, excuse me, what Paul's task will be. Paul's task was, kind of, was, was to, to point people to Jesus so that they would be able to turn from darkness to light. You know what that statement means? That means that people who don't have Jesus in their life, they're living in darkness. That's what that means. To turn from the power of Satan to God. That means those of us who don't have a relationship with Jesus, we're not under the saving grace and the power of God. We're under the control of the enemy of our lives, which is Satan. That's what this is saying here. And But to receive forgiveness of sins. I love that. The Lord is saying, look, this is what's going to happen. And when they turn from these things, then they'll be able to receive from me this forgiveness of sins that nobody can be forgiven of sins except God only can forgive sins because he's the only one who can condemn anybody for their sins. So he's the only one who can ever forgive us. And it it goes on, it says, and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. So not only are we forgiven, but we have an inheritance. How many of you guys have ever gone through, you know, inheritance? You see people who get, you know, maybe a movie and they, you know, uh, their rich family member passed away and they got all these riches and everything like that. You know what I mean? And, And all these things. The inheritance that the Lord gives those of us that are believers is beyond all comprehension. There's an inheritance that we receive and it's guaranteed and it's because we are sanctified by faith in Jesus. Praise the Lord. I am glad that there's an inheritance that I will receive one day because of God's promise in my life. Verse 19, we're going to finish this, you guys. Hold on tight. Therefore, King Agrippa, he's continuing to say, I was not disobedient in the heavenly vision. Paul's saying, I did not disobey. This vision that was given to me, I, 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 I lived it out. But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all of the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should, there's that word, repent, turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. So Paul shares about this obedience to the Lord's directive. And also it's important here to note that there was an order of things. Repent, it means turn from the way that you're living and turn to God. It really means change, a change way of thinking as it pertains to a spiritual conversion. That's what metanoia means. That's the, the, the first name in this church name, metanoia. A transformed thinking as it pertains to a spiritual conversion. Until we change our thinking about God, we're never gonna go in a step towards God. We're never going to do that. That's why we have dialogues and conversations and we read the word and we want to know and we work through these things. And I love it. Praise the Lord for his grace and mercy that he allows us to work through these things because he is working in our lives for us to come to a place of, yes, Lord, I want you to be part of my life. 
That's why we start questioning things. And so it's amazing here that Paul makes this account. He says, this is what happened in my life. And that word repent, turn from your own way of thinking and acting and turn towards God. And then this other thing, do works befitting repentance. In other words, there needs to be something in our life that shows that we're a Christian. How many of you guys have ever seen people that proclaim that they're Christians, but their life doesn't line up with it? That's not biblical. There is action in our life. How many guys have a relationship with somebody? And yeah, unfortunately, we have expectations of relationships, right? Well, what if that, relation, what if that person never uh, uh, operated in a way that showed that they actually wanted to have a relationship with you? What would you think about them? Would you call them your friend? No. Would you say you had a relationship with them? Eh, probably not. The same thing pertains to us with Jesus. And Paul's making the same statement here. They should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting. In other words, appropriate, or that look like somebody whose life has been turned around by the Lord. Verse 21 through 23. For these reasons, isn't this crazy, guys? For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, love that he gives God the glory for the help that he's given to him. To this day, in other words, God's continuing to help me. I stand before you, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. In other words, everything I'm saying lines up with the prophets and Moses. In other words, everything that happens in my life from Jesus transforming me, everything that's coming out of my mouth lines up with the word. If we're presenting Jesus to people, it needs to line up with the Bible. Verse 23, that the, Christ who, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So Paul shares why the Jews captured him. Also that, that, um, that what he spoke again was no different than prophets. In verse 23, Paul states what the prophets of Moses spoke of and now what Paul is speaking of that these events pertaining to Jesus Christ have come true. Verse 24, now as, now as he thus made his defense, so this is, Festus gets freaked out by Paul here. So Paul's making his defense and Festus said with a loud voice, he probably yelled at the top of his lungs, who knows, you know, you're in a big crowd, right? Back then they didn't have microphones. Either you had a loud voice or nobody heard you. Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. So Festus thought that Paul had gone mad with craziness because of his learning and that he was crazy talk was coming out of his mouth. Verse 25 and 26. But he said, this is Paul, I am not mad, most noble Festus. Isn't that interesting? Paul recognized a position regardless of accepting the person's life. Like we can recognize a position of leadership, but we don't necessarily have to respect the person in that role. Does that make sense? But he, he, he was very cordial with people, you know? Um, and so I, I, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. So he's recognizing Festus's position, but speak the words of truth and reason. So in other words, saying I'm speaking truth and wisdom and reason, I mean, Verse 26, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. And this is important to understand what Paul's saying here, that the life ministry trial, brutal 
bloody beating, the crucifixion on the cross, the piercing of Jesus' side, and water and blood flowing out of his side, meaning that he had a broken heart, the burial of Christ's body and the miraculous resurrection, plus, listen, yes, plus, it's like, and more, plus Jesus in bodily form with his wounds in his body from this horrific crucifixion was seen not only by his disciples, but also by over 500 people physically. The account of Jesus Christ is not a mythological situation. It's not just in the Bible. It's literally a historical event. Jesus' life was documented by secular writer Josephus at the time. Secular being not in the Bible, but yet he was a historian in that era. There's so much historical, legitimate documentation backing up the word of God, backing up the Bible, the the gospel, backing up the accounts of what happened, backing up Jesus' life, death, and burial, that it would be harder for us... So if you, do, if you do a study and you look at what's uh, required to actually uh, legitimize historical events, um, the Bible actually um, supersedes all of those things. Um, we, have more, we have archaeological evidence, we have writings, we have historical documents that, that historians have proven that the, new te- that the Bible's true and that who Jesus is is who he is. And that there was this man, Jesus, that lived and was, was murdered on a, on a, through Roman crucifixion and that he came back to life. And it was a fulfillment of the gospel of what Paul's talking about here. It's amazing. Verse 27, and we'll finish up here. I know I'm going over. King Agrippa, listen. This. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. I love Paul's speech here to them, the way he communicated. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today. So Paul was preaching the gospel to this very rich, very Roman crowd, to, the, to even the, 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 the Jews that were present that didn't like him. I, Paul, I would... To God, that only not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, he was saying that my life has been so exuberantly transformed by God that I, I would l- love for all of you to experience God the way I have, except me being bound. How loving is that? It's amazing. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice, the king's sister, and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside and talked among themselves, saying, they came back, they said, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. So then the king, king Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So the court that he was in, he, they, they could have set him free, but because Paul said, I appeal to Caesar, they had to follow that. And so next, the next two chapters, we'll see Paul being taken to Rome. So let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the patience of the hearers today. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in our lives, Lord. Thank you that all of us have a testimony, Father, of either you working in our lives or the work that you've done in our lives, Lord. Praise you, Father God, for 
just who you are. And I ask Jesus that you would give us boldness in our personal lives, Lord, to repent from anything in our life that's contrary to you, God. Lord, I, I need your help every single day, Lord. And if I, I know I'm nobody, Lord, and if I need it, I know my friends here do too. And so, Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts and minds so that we would be dependent upon you. So that our lives would be seen as a light in a very dark world. Help us in our homes and in our jobs and in our relationships and our families. And we just thank you for the Bible and that people have tried to destroy it. They tried to destroy you before you were even here, Lord. Throughout centuries, God. So what a blessing it is to be here with your people here, Lord. Just continue to work in our lives as you see fit. Thank you so much, God, for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.